And this morning, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and then maybe summarize chapter 4. Because it has same, some of the same material and uh, interesting. So, <clears throat> would you pray with me, please? 1 Corinthians is about the church and uh, about problems in the church, and so... It was applied to the church at Corinth initially, but the, it was recorded by the Holy Spirit through the uh, pen of Paul for our benefit today. So it applies to us today. It applies to us as a local church, a local congregation, and it applies to the general assembly that one day assembled together in Christ's presence. And so when the, when the New Testament talks about the church, it's talking about... At different times, it's talking about the local assembly, and sometimes it's talking about the church age and all the Christian people of the church age. And so, uh, but we're not assembled together yet. At, at, but we will one day when Christ comes. Uh, we'll all be assembled together at, at that time. So pray with me, and then we will look into f- chapter three. Our Father, uh, as we come before you this morning, we, we need your help, your Holy Spirit, to uh, help us understand your word. And Lord, I pray uh, you'd help me as I teach, and I, I pray that you'd help us as we uh, want to grasp, uh, Lord, the authority of your word. And Lord, we want to grasp the uh, implications for us uh, that uh, I and everyone here, that we might respond to you in a manner that honors you. And, uh, Lord, we're blessed when we do that, and we seek your blessing this morning, and so please help us in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, Um, first couple of chapters, Paul had said to the church that you uh, are are, uh, following different men. Some said, I'm Paul, I'm Apollos, I'm a Peter, I'm a Christ. And uh, he uh, was condemning them for sectarianism. Sectarianism means you get in your little sect and uh, you uh, won't. Uh, he, he was saying that that's not the right thing to do. And he, he comes to chapter 3. And, and remember, it wasn't broke down in chapters, so he's just writing paragraphs to them. And when we get to this, in chapter 3, he says this in verse 1 through 4. He says to them, that you're carnal, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, but until now you're not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal, for where there are envy and strife and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men?" Now, not mere men means men without Christ. That's uh, what that means, or people without Christ. When the Bible uses the word men in these contexts, it's talking about people. And then verse 4, and when one says, I'm a Paul, or another, I'm a Paulus, are you not carnal? The word carnal means to be fleshly. It means to be, not be thinking spiritually, but to be thinking of the flesh. To be it's selfishness. Uh, it is generated by pride. So it's, it's saying that instead of being concerned about the things of Christ, you're concerned about the things of yourself. And that's made you sectarian, and you are in the flesh. You're, you're operating in the flesh. Um, 
when, when we come to know Christ, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. We're in the Father's hand. We are never going to lose our salvation because we didn't earn it to begin with. It was a gift from God. We talked about that last week when we had the board in here. It was a gift from God, and he, he chose us. He saved us. He sealed us. He gave us the Holy Spirit as a witness to us, and he will bring us to heaven one day. But we still live in a fallen body, and we still have this temptation uh, to sin, and we still uh, are we're influenced by the flesh, by the world, and by the devil. And we have to battle against that. Much of the New Testament is written to teach us how to battle against that and to admonish us how to battle against that. And here Paul is saying to them, you're saved, but you're carnal. And it's a, it's a derogatory word. It's a word, you're babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with meat. It means you're not growing up. You're not maturing. You're not, you're not coming on to behave like Christ would, but you're still behaving like people without Christ. And then, uh, uh, you know, <clears throat> it's a condemnation. And when you read that, you you need to be thinking about yourself, and you need to think about your own life. And I think about myself and my own life, and how often I get in the flesh. We say that I get in the flesh, uh, that I I get selfish and prideful and self-centered, and 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 it causes friction in your life and with the people in your life, does it not? And uh, and so he's saying this is your problem. Uh, this is what Alan Redpath wrote. He said, The carnal Christian is a child of God, born again, and on his way to heaven, but he's traveling third class. And so I think that explains it. You're, you're not a happy Christian. You're not a joyful Christian if you're living in the flesh. That's all I'm going to say about that. I'm not going to say you can pick out a, joy, you can pick out a joyful Christian by their attitude sometimes, but uh, I, we don't know their circumstances. Now, Paul explains uh, that they uh, were following men and and not men as the servants of God. So read that with me in verse 5. This is pretty self-explanatory, so I'm not going to go into it in depth, but just read this then. He said, Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither, neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. But we are, okay, I'm going to stop there. But each one according to his own labor. So God's making it clear that the ministry, and I'm preaching to myself as has a retired minister, but... Uh, he was saying that ministers are not the ones in charge. God's in charge. Uh, if, if you're a farmer, you can't make anything grow. You plant it, you water it, but God makes it grow. And uh, we can't save anyone. We can't cause anyone to grow in grace. We plant and we water, and God gives the increase. It, it is God's work. And so we can't. we should not take pride in that. And so... Here's what he's saying to them. Apollos is nothing, and he's nothing, and and it's God who does this. It's God's work. And he's saying, so you shouldn't be following these men. 
we have different we have different pastors on our staff today, and you may have favorites, and uh, that's okay. If we have personality types, and you might probably know the four personality types, and sometimes we're attracted to the same personality type as we are. Sometimes that's the people we resent the most, or the people most like us, because <laughs> they they show us our own faults. But and that's okay if you have, but it's not to not to the place of exalting them for their gifts. God uses, God uses whoever he chooses, and we've already read, he uses the weak things to confound the wise. Um, he's going to, well, I'll, I'll tell you that when we get to it in just a moment. But it's God who should re- receive our allegiance. Uh, and I hate, so I'll say I hate using personal stories. I try not to use very many, but when I, when I became the pastor here, there were people who left the church. And when I... Uh, quit being the pastor there were people who left the church and uh, you know but that's showing allegiance to a person and not to the ministry and to the work and uh, uh, pastors should be held accountable, ministers should be held accountable at whatever level um, if, if, if there's a moral problem or an ethical problem but uh, not for their gifts uh, God chooses whom he uses, and, and God puts people in churches. Do you understand? The Bible teaches that. Uh, we may elect them. Um, you elect the pastor, but uh, God, it's God who brought them to the place of, that we elect them. The Bible makes that clear, and that's in a properly functioning Bible church is how that takes place. Um, and then he, he says this... Um, in verse 8, I want you to catch this. Now, he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Now, verse 9. For we who are God's fellow workers, you are, for we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, you are God's building. According to the grace of God which was given to me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. Verse 11, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So he's using the illustration that the church is a building. The church is a building, and he's saying uh, Christ lays the foundation, but Paul said, I'm a master builder, which means he has some authority. Uh, he is an apostle. He is an apostle. Uh, there, there are only uh, a certain select group of apostles. There are no apostles past that. After the first century, there are no apostles. And he was one of that select group by the ordination of the Lord himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he's saying, he's a master builder, and he's saying, I'm building on that foundation, and, and he, he, he makes it clear that it's God's church, not his. He's just a builder. And, and he's building on this foundation. And he, <clears throat> he himself is accountable for how he, how he builds and how he ministers to the church. When Paul says he laid the foundation, he's speaking to the Corinthian church, means that he started this church. And now you, you get from these letters that Paul wrote, they're disrespecting Paul. Uh, they're demeaning Paul. There are people who come. Evidently, Apollos 
was an orator, uh, very well-spoken, very well-versed in the Old Testament. We know that from Scripture. And, and he <clears throat> evidently, uh, in a sense, was very personable, and so people were following him. Paul wasn't like that. What we have, Paul, how Paul describes himself is, is not pretty, it's not handsome, it's not powerful, he's not a good-looking person, and he uh, calls himself even contemptible in speech. I'm just amazed about that. He's one of the most brilliant minds probably that ever lived, gifted like no other man in history. Uh, he, he probably uh, is more gifted by the Holy Spirit than I believe any other man in history so far. And uh, he yet doesn't look like it. And so now they're disrespecting him. Now they are not paying him the honor that's due and not honor about giving anything, but honor in listening to him and following his teaching that he laid down there in their church. And so, <clears throat> so they're, what they're doing in, in their evaluation, they're looking at the outside of people instead of listening to their words and hearing God speak to them. And we tend to do the same things sometimes. We like what uh, appeals to our flesh and... Uh, to, 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 to apply your intellect is work. You understand that? It's just work. When you sit down to read the Bible, you, you have to concentrate if you're going to get anything from it. You, you have to do what I did this morning. You have to ask the Lord to help you, and you don't have to do it in the same words, but you just have to have an acknowledgement in your soul that I am a child of God, need God's help, and this is his word, and he is speaking to me today. When I'm reading this by myself in my office, he's speaking to me today. And, and, and when you do that, you have to shut out the distractions, and you have to, because if, if you've got a Bible reading plan uh, or whatever you're doing, when you read, it's easy to say, I'm going to read five chapters today. I can do that without even thinking about what they say. I mean, I can do that and be thinking about playing golf. I can do that, and so are thinking about food. <laughs> I can do that, but that doesn't benefit us, and it's not honoring to God. So what Paul is saying to them, <clears throat> excuse me, Paul is really trying to make it clear to them that you need to look below the surface, and you, you need to be aware of what God's doing in your life and, and who is what these ministers are trying to do. They're trying to build you up as the foundation and as the building of Christ uh, that's established by Christ himself. They're ministers of Christ. <clears throat> now, every laborer will be tested by Christ. He, 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 he alluded to that in verse 10. He said, but let each one take heed how he builds. Let every minister take heed how he builds. And, and then now in verse 12 through verse 15, he, he talks about the, the kinds of ministry. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If you underline in your Bible, you ought to underline that, what sort it is. Not how large, uh, not how significant to the world, but of what sort it is. If anyone's, verse 14, if anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, 
yet so as by fire. Now, this is talking to the ministers. This is talking to ministers about how they minister. Uh, this won't be on the screen, but I'm going to read to you out of 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and, um, and verse, um, let me look, uh, chapter 5 and verse 10. Okay, which then applies the same principle to us as individuals, every, every believer in Christ. And here's what it says. Well, 2 Corinthians, if you're looking in your Bible, 2 Corinthians 5. I looked at that and I thought, mm, wrong verse. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10. And this applies it to us. <clears throat> For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, that's not the, that is not the right white throne. So we're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ is not whether you're saved or not. It's not a judgment to determine your salvation. It is a judgment to determine what you did with your life. It's a judgment before Christ to evaluate you. It's like if you're evaluating something to set a value upon it, Christ is going to do that for each of us. So let me finish the verse. We all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now what determines good or bad? When you go back to where we're reading about the ministers, of what sort it is. Is it wood, hay, stubble? Or is it marble and granite and gold and silver? And, and, and what determines that? It is your attitude and to the purpose of why you're living. And so I'm applying this to ministers, but I'm applying it to us as individual Christians. Each of us is going to give an account for our life from the day we are saved until the day we pass into Christ's presence. And the account we're going to give is to what purpose did you live? To what purpose did you live? Did you, did you live to give glory to God? Did you live in your marriage relationship to give glory to God? Did you live in the rearing of your children to give glory to God? Did you live in your business uh, or your work to give glory to God? Did you live fleshly, carnally, or did you live to give glory to God? It's not going to be whether you're a missionary or a pastor or whether you gave a, 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 an astounding significance of money to the church. None of that's going to be what you're, you're going to be judged on. Or what we're, we're, I should say we are going to be judged on. It's going to be it's what is the motive of your life. Is the motive of your life to honor God? Is the motive of your life just to become like Christ? Is the motive of your life is to follow him in humility and in obedience. That's tough, isn't it? That's just tough. I'm, I'm just confessing to you, that bothers me a little bit to think one day I'm going to give an account. Uh, I, I'm a, and I'm going to give an account and every deed, every word is going to be manifest. And, and I, I don't know whether that's publicly to the world, but it's going to be manifest between me and Christ at least. And, and it already is, by the way. I mean, he already, he already knows. There's no thought you hide from him. There's, you know, what the psalmist say? You, can, you can't go to heaven and escape. You can't go to hell and escape. We, he, I mean, he's there. He, Christ, is, Christ is Christ in us, the hope of glory. He's with you every day, and he, he, he knows your motive in every single thought that you have, much less every action, every deed, every word. He knows your motive, and we're going to have it revealed and tested by fire.
Wow. Lord, forgive me. I mean, that, that make you repent, won't it? It should. You know, if we thought about that every morning, we might be a different person during that day. We might <clears throat> help our wife without grumbling. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> you know, I, uh, when I think about the ministers, and the ministers who are going to be evaluated for the ministry, <clears throat> there's, a, there's a minister in, in town named Bob Porterfield. How many of you ever heard of Bob Porterfield? Okay, about uh, maybe close to half of you. Bob Porterfield pastors the Kentucky Avenue Baptist Church. It's a mission off of First Baptist. I may not have my facts exactly right. But over the years, he's been there as long as I can remember. Uh, I think before I went in the ministry, as long as I can remember, he's been there. And First Baptist, he, he, it's, a, it's a mission established by them. And he is their emissary to the, to the hospitals. And uh, so he visits the hospital every day. And he is a person, if you just saw him, of no significance. He is uh, smaller than I am. His clothes doesn't fit. Uh, he, he's not handsome like I am. He is... Uh, <clears throat> and so... But for all these years, as long as I, for, for, for 40 years plus, he visits the hospital. And he visits everybody in the hospital. He just doesn't just visit the members of his church. It wouldn't take very long in his church, but, but he, or, or First Baptist, but he just visits every, every person. And years ago, the hospital board decided that you could not go and visit, a pastor couldn't go and visit unless the person in the room had put you on and put down their membership of what church, and then you had to prove that you were a pastor of that church before you could go and visit. And you know what happened to Bob Porterfield? Nothing. The hospital ignored that and let him keep visiting. And, and uh, if, back when I took the paper, you would, he did probably as many funerals as the five biggest pastors in town. When I say biggest pastors, pastors of the biggest church in town. He probably did as many funerals as him. You know why? Because he went to those people, every room, every person, and there are many people who are dying that they didn't have a pastor, they didn't go to church, and he ministered to them. And I'm thinking... <laughs> When rewards are given out, his is probably going to be bigger than any pastor in town, I imagine, uh, because of his ministry. He's humble. He has a heart. He, he will love you. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor or what color you are. He will love you, and he will uh, pray with you and talk to you about Christ. And he's done it faithfully for all these years. And his wife passed away, and now his clothes look worse than they ever did. And he still comes, and he still does it. And he's a blessing to me. <laughs> and you know, see, that's what God's saying. God's saying, I don't care what you achieve. All God has to do is snap his fingers. And as many people in Midland as he wants to be saved would be saved today. They could be saved while they're asleep if God wanted to do that. If he, if he chose to do it that way. Biblically, that's not how he chose to do it. They're going to hear the gospel, respond to the gospel. But, see, God doesn't need important people. God doesn't need, and this is what Paul is saying to this church, it's not what you're seeing on the outside. It is the word of God, and it is the ministry of God. It is the ministry of God. 
And what I want to challenge you about is whether you're here in this church or you move off or you, or you go to a different church in town, don't think about the pastors in that sense. Think about this is the ministry of God. I, I may not like their personality type. I may not like their jokes. Or I, you know, but this is the ministry of God. I'm going to take what, I, I'm going to take what the Holy Spirit draws me to, and I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to honor Christ because of the gospel. If you're going to a place and they're not preaching the gospel, don't bother. Move on. But then think about yourself. See, the same thing is true. Uh, we're going to give that account one day. And if, if we go to first, Second Corinthians, we'll cover it again when we get there. <clears throat> and then he speaks about the temple of God. And uh, that, that verse 16 and 17, uh, let me find my place. He said, do you not know that you're the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Now, remember when I was saying to you earlier, when the Bible uses the word church, it, it, sometimes it's talking about the local congregation. The, uh, the, the word is the ecclesia, the assembly. Uh, we, you, you assemble out, we assemble together. So most of the time in the New Testament, it's talking about the assembly that comes, talking about local church, talking about here, talking about Bellevue down the street, First Baptist. So it's talking about the local assembly. And, but sometimes it's talking about, occasionally it's talking about the church age, all the saved people from the time of Christ uh, until he comes again. So sometimes it's talking about that, that it's talking about the church invisible that hasn't come together yet. Okay, when we're reading this about the temple of God, uh, I believe in this instance. Now, I'm saying to you, I believe, because not everyone does. I believe in this instance, it's talking about the local assembly. The Holy Spirit is within you, the local assembly. And I want to give you the contrast. Let me look at my... Okay, now, in chapter 6, and again, this won't be on the screen, but if you want to turn to chapter 6 and verse 19... We're going to see that he's talking about the temple of your body. So that's why I think there's a distinction, and I think he makes it clear here. So the temple of your body. So verse 19 of chapter 6. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? You are bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Okay, so I think he's, there he's talking about my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. But here in, in chapter 3, I think he's talking about the church, the, the local assembly, because that's the context that he's given. See, it's, it's in the context, it is, it's the whole church. So let's, let's just read it again so maybe you have that in your mind. You think about it in this way. Back to verse 16. Do you not know that you are the temple of God? I think you this time, see, he's speaking to the church, not to individuals. He's speaking to the church, to the local church there, to the local church here. He's speaking to us. Do you not know that, um, that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Let me, let me reinforce that. You remember back <clears throat> at the beginning <clears throat> of Corinthians when he says to them, you've come behind in no gift. And he's speaking to their church. You have all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. 
You've come behind in no gifts. So he's saying to them, you, it doesn't matter how big your church is, he's saying to them, you have what you need as an as a, as a assembly of God, as a church. The Holy Spirit is within you. He's gifted you. And, and I think the context is still exactly the same here, that he's, he's saying to them. And then the warning is, now remember what he's, the context, he's talking about them being carnal, being fleshly, being selfish, being prideful. And this is what he says, if, verse 17, if anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. If you're a troublemaker in the church, you're on dangerous ground. That's basically what it means. Uh, if, if you have no grounds now, <clears throat> excuse me, if there is a moral problem with a minister, you're obligated to do something. But if there's not, if you're just not happy personally, uh, and I'm, I'm speaking to you as, as, you know, humbly, again, you're on dangerous ground. If you, if you, if you hurt the church, uh, if you hurt the work of God, if you, if you do that intentionally, um, you are on dangerous ground. And God said he will take action uh, uh, on, on you. How serious is that? Isn't that serious? Okay, and now we move past that. <clears throat> okay, the reason why is that we, co- we, re- we collectively represent Christ to our community. You know, Paul's going to use the illustration of the body. Some are an eye, some are an ear, some are a hand, some are a foot. And to go- collectively, we make up that body. This church is the body of Christ. Crestview is the, is the body of Christ. Christ view this, and Bellevue is the body of Christ. <clears throat> Every Bible-believing church is the body of Christ. And you say, how can you have that many bodies of Christ in one town, much less in the world? Well, how can you have the Holy Spirit indwelling me, and the Holy Spirit indwelling Bill, and the Holy Spirit indwelling Eric, and Jack, and, and all of you, is that the Holy God is omnipresent. He is, and so... I'm indwelt by the Holy Spirit. I don't have a part of him, and you have a part of him. We all have the Holy Spirit within us, all of the Holy Spirit within us. And, and so does every church. And so, but we, we represent Christ to our community. And when we denigrate him by our behavior, we are denigrating him to the community. That's why it grieves me so over the years, the, the, the sexual problems that churches have had and uh, how, how they have um, sometimes covered it up. Uh, sometimes it's just, you know, you remember, this is popping in my mind, you remember when David sinned with Bathsheba. We use that illustration a lot because it has so many meanings. Remember when David sinned with Bathsheba and when Nathan came to him, and, and, and one of the things that Nathan the prophet said to him is you have caused God's enemies to blaspheme. See, that's serious business. When, when we as a believer so behave that we cause God's enemies, those people who don't believe in God, don't believe in Christ, when we cause them to say, see, I told you so, there's nothing to that Christianity. There's, there's nothing to what they say. They act just like every other person. Well, why should I believe? What difference should it make to me? They just want my money. 
And see, so that is a dishonor to Christ. See how serious this is? And it is very, very serious. Okay, let's move past that. I don't like that part. And I'm just saying that joking. I like the Word of God. Okay, so verse 21. We're going to see here all things are for our benefit in Christ. So Paul is saying that all, all these different men, the way they minister, what they say in Christ, all of it is to your benefit. Here's how he says it, verse, uh, <clears throat> verse 21. Did I skip 20? Okay. Well, we'll just skip 20. Am I on the right page? Let me find my place. Okay, verse 21. Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. All are yours, and you're Christ, and Christ is God's. Really interesting here when he's saying this, when he says, don't boast in men. That would include ourselves. Don't boast in yourself. Don't boast in your... Don't, don't boast in uh, the fact that you may be in a bigger church or a smaller church. or uh, Don't boast in, you, you know, don't be sectarian. I, I've had to learn, you know, my heart's here. I, my, our life has been spent here. We came and uh, my wife and children were saved in this, well, my wife was in this room right here. And, and this was a church when we came. And, and uh, so this... And, and so our life has been here as, as members and then as on staff and then as pastor. And now after that, our, our life. So I love this church. And I'll, I'll admit to you, early, on the early days, I loved this church to the, to the uh, what word do I want to use? I, lo- I love this church and actually put other churches down, not verbally, not publicly, but in my heart and in my mind because they weren't this church. You understand that? I'm confessing to you my sin. I was this. I was one of those people who are saying, I'm a Paulus, I'm a Paul, I'm a Brother Johnson, I'm of Kelvin Heights. We're better than you. Not only that, not only are we Texans, but we belong to Kelvin Heights. You know, I, we're just and, and the reason why is because this is the only church we knew, and it meant so much to us. And so uh, but you know, when you read scripture, you come to the place and think, that's sin, that's sinful. That's dishonoring to Christ. Uh, Christ loves Brother Porterfield's church and all 20 of them or however many there might be. He, he loves them. Christ is there. He is, he's the, he, he's, they're his body to the, to the community, to the world. You know, and when we realize that, there are people who don't believe doctrinally. Last week we had the board in here and I gave you this doctrinal deal of, of salvation and there are people who don't believe that. Well, they're just as saved as I am if they trusted in Christ. They're just a little confused about their theology. But, yeah, yeah, or at least I think they are. I, it might be me. But, but you understand is that this is Christ's church. This is his church. And, and the ones down the street are his church. There's his church too. Remember Jesus said to his disciples, there's some people over there who are preaching in, in your name, and they're not following you. And he said, you know, if you're not against me, you're for me. And he said, I have sheep that are not of this flock. And, and, and they're of his flock, but not of our flock. 
And so I had to learn that. I had to repent and to, uh, to be grateful of what other pastors did. You know how you do that? You pray for them. You pray for them. You, you, you pray. Uh, you know, when Stonegate started, we lost about a third of our congregation. And, uh, and I was pastored at that time. And it was very difficult. And uh, I had to pray for them. I had to pray that they would be blessed and that they'd hear the gospel and that they would grow in grace and that uh, they would be ministered to. And it's very, very difficult for me to do that. But the only way I could do it and not be bitter was to pray for them. And you think, if you still remember it, you're bitter. No, you just have a memory. You have a memory of your own sin. You have a memory of facts and uh, what happens in, in your, your life and in your world. But you know, when, when we read this, all things are for us. All things are for us. I, I want you to look at it again. Therefore, let, oh, well, read verse 20. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life, or death, or things present, or things to come, all are yours. And you are Christ, and Christ is God. That reminds me of what Romans said in Romans chapter 8. You remember, Paul says there, What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how, she, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? When I'm going through the throes of life, now, I'm talking about it as a person, not as a pastor, but as a, as a person. When I'm going through the difficulties, trials of life, all things, are for, all, all things are mine. All things are mine. See, and he says this here, and he says it, he, he says it better in, in Romans 8, or more, more extensively in Romans 8. But, but here he just gives a little... Life, the world, the war that's going on now, the wars that have gone on, the world, politics, life or death, or things present or things to come, all are yours. In, in our class, we've experienced some deaths uh, of, of, of uh, people related to you. And, and uh, you know, we think, how can that be? How can deaths, how, how can that be? A benefit. When we think about when we think about Christians, um, to us, death is a graduation. It is a it is a freeing. There's a there's a man named David Gusick who wrote about the illustration about when when Peter was in prison, and you remember he and John were arrested, and they and and Pilate had John put to death. John, James, James put to death. And Peter was still there. And after the, after the holiday, he's going to put Peter to death. After the feast, he's going to put Peter to death. And the angel comes and, and gets him out of the prison. You remember that in the book of Acts? And gets him out of the prison. And you know what's going to happen one day? Not the angel is going to come, but Christ is going to come and get us out of the prison of this body of flesh. We're going we're gonna to be set free. Uh, Peter was set free. We're going to be set free when the death is going to set us free. Um, and whether it is 
the death of the body, the rapture, the death of this body at the rapture, and we have the uh, new body, or whether it is uh, when, when I pass and this body goes to the grave, and then I'm going to be in the presence of the Lord. So what Paul wrote, I'm, I'm going to be in the presence of the Lord until he gives me a new body. And I'm going to be set free. That is a freak. So death is for us. Uh, I don't want to live eternally in this body. I, I don't want to, especially the shape it's in now. I don't want to do that. And so he's going to come one day. And so I, I, I wish I could live with this attitude. I, you'd be benefited if you could. If you have every morning to face your life and just say, Lord, the circumstances that I'm in are for my benefit. You are sovereign. You're in control. You want me to grow and learn and to be patient and to endure and, and to experience grace. And sometimes the only way we experience grace is when we're going through the trial. And because if we're not, we're proud. That's our nature. Our own nature is saying, well, you know, these people are having trouble, but they deserve it. Now, you'd never say that, but I guess I have a time or two. I couldn't think it. But, see, that's really, that's just not, that's, that's unchristian. It's unbiblical when we do that. Okay, we got a few more minutes, and I'm going to summarize chapter 4. It's the same, it's, it's the same theme, and so I don't want to spend a week teaching chapter 4, but just summarize it, and I'm going to give it to you very quickly. Um, first, we read in verse 5, God will judge his servants. God's going to judge his servants. Um, God's going to judge, we already talked about us, you and me, but he's also going to judge the ministers. They're going to be held accountable. Um, and then he, he says, and it's summarized in verse 7, they did not achieve grace through their own efforts, so why are they proud of their chosen acts? I'm going to read verse 7 to you uh, because it applies to us. For who made you differ from another, and what do you have that you did not receive it? Now if, you didn't, if, now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? You know what he's saying? I'm who I am by the grace of God. You're who you are by the grace of God. Why should I boast? Why should you boast? Why should we compare? Why, why should we be envious or jealous? Why, why should we do that? I am a child of God by His grace. He determined my upbringing. He determined the opportunities that I had. He determined uh, my personality type. He determined the struggles I would have. He determined all those things, and He determined the same things for you. Why should I compare myself to you? or you to me, or us to anyone else. You know, it's really been interesting this week. Um, I don't know if you watched it, but I, I read the news on my phone. I won't pay for the paper anymore because it's just a rag, and that's my opinion, I guess, so it doesn't matter. But if you're taking it, you know, read the funnies and work Sudoku and then leave the rest of it. But I read the news on my phone, and it's been interesting to me that... Uh, when, when that guy slapped the other guy at uh, the Academy Awards, I think it was Academy Awards, wasn't it? Or, and, and, you know, that has been newsworthy. It's just astounding. That, that shook our nation. You know, that's newsworthy. You know, there's a war going on. People are dying. 
and, and, and yet that becomes newsworthy. You know, I'm just astounded. I'm astounded by that. And I'm thinking, okay, I don't want that to bother me. I don't, want that to, I don't even want to give that any thought. But here I am talking about it. <laughs> and you know, so see the things, but the things that happen in our lives, we, we're so quick to say, I, I'm compared, we compare that, we compare that. And, uh, you know, we feel sorry for ourselves or we feel proud of ourselves, either one. And it's just, you know, that's so sinful. That is so, uh, the, a lack of acknowledging that I belong to Christ. He is everything to me. He, he is my sovereign Lord. He is my master. He's my boss. He, I'm his slave. Uh, I'm his bondservant. I'm the under rower in his ship. And he has every right to put me in any situation he wants to and to expose me to anything he wants to, and I need to honor him. I, I can't live that way. I'm trying to, but it's just so difficult. You have a problem with that? I'd have you raise your hand, but it's not necessary. Either you would or you lie, one or the other. It doesn't matter. So. <laughs> okay, so if, if, if we don't achieve grace for our own efforts, why, will we, why are we proud? And then uh, he says the apostles pay a high price, including himself, Paul does, to preach the gospel. I want to read that to you because we have time. Verse 9. For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles last, as men condemned to death, for we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. The imagery he's given, and the people reading this would know, or being read to them would know, that when a conquering general returns home, they, they, the troops go through the main street, and behind the, behind the troops or behind the generals or is, is the... the, the the bounty that they've captured, I mean, whatever it might be. I mean, th- think about all the things from the temple that the Romans took and, and took to Rome. So, so the bounty that they've captured, and, and then following them are the captives. And, and the last of the procession would be the captives that they took. And this is what Paul is saying. Let me read it again. For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles last, as men condemned to death, For we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you're wise in Christ. We're weak, but you're strong. You're distinguished, but we are dishonored. To the present hour, we both hunger and thirst, and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. And Paul's not feeling sorry for himself. He's drawing a contrast to this church about how they are treating and thinking about him, not treating, but thinking about him, as opposed to the leadership they have now who is saying that Paul is unworthy. And that's what you get from from reading these things. And Paul is saying, that's how you're thinking of us. And then he says this in verse 12. And we labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless, being persecuted, we endure, being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, the offscouring of all things until now. I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you, for though you have ten, you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. 
For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore I urge you, imitate me. Paul, as an apostle, is saying, I warn you, I warn you, your behavior is going to come under judgment. And, and Paul is going to say, I can bring that judgment. And remember, Paul could, if you read through racks of his ministry, and there were people who were judged immediately for dishonoring Christ. And, and, Paul, and Paul brought himself that judgment. And uh, so it's really interesting that uh, Paul is saying to them that, that it's not for me, but you're, 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 you're dishonoring Christ, and I'm warning you. Uh, we, we should take that. Let me end with this. Here's some applications for the church, for us. God's ministers are different, have different gifts by which they minister. We're not to judge them for their gifts of ministry, but we're to be grateful. Um, then second, we are not to be proud of our understanding of, of grace, but realize it's a gift of God to us. It's a gift of God to me. It's a gift of God to you. We not, not, may not be on the same page, but if we have grace and know Christ, that's a gift, and I'm to respect that in you and you in me. And then third, it is God's church. It is his church. It is not mine. It is not yours. It is his church. Well, this has been an interesting lesson. I have uh, struggled with it, and I have repented over it, and uh, prayed that you might grasp something from it this morning. So, 1 Corinthians is hard. It's a hard book. Uh, pray with me, please, and we'll go to church. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for our time this morning. Lord, we thank you most of all for Christ and for the Holy Spirit that indwells us, uh, that we might glorify Christ and, and through him the Father. And uh, Lord, we can't do that without your help. We can't do that without uh, you helping us understand Scripture. And Lord, without convicting us that we repent of our sin and our sinfulness and our attitudes. And so, Father, we're grateful. We thank you that you care enough about us to speak to us by your Spirit with authority. And uh, Father, might we be people who who respond differently to our world, to our ministers, uh, Lord, to the church itself, to each other, and uh, you be exalted in our thoughts and actions, and we will be blessed. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, God bless you. Hey, if you ever have a question about what I teach, uh, every week when I send this out, my email's on the bottom. Feel free to email me with, with a question. Um, see you in church. <laughs>